This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton. Welcome back to the Knowledge of Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge of Wharton website. I'm here with marketing professor Kate Lamberton. Her new paper is called Marketing in the Sharing Economy, and she's here to talk about it with us. Kate, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So from a marketing standpoint, what are some of the key characteristics of the sharing economy, which is a term I think we hear pretty often out in the world these days. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem, right? This is part of the reason we wanted to write this paper is that you hear a lot of discussion of the sharing economy. And it's been that way for, you know, probably 15 years. This was a big deal, you know, in 2003, 2004. And it's a huge question to ask what it is. Um, What we decided that it really has to do with is, you know, a a way of exchanging value usually uses some kind of matching platform to bring people together. And very often the supply is crowdsourced. So the goods are coming from lots of different people. Um, There are other attributes that often go along with sharing economy businesses. Uh, For example, there's usually a heavy reliance on trust and reputation because you don't have a firm that's standing in the middle and intermediarying between people. Um, But that's not necessary. You know, all sharing economy businesses don't necessarily just rely on people giving each other star ratings. So part of the big question of this paper was, what is this thing and why does it matter? Uh, A lot of the discussions said the sharing economy changes everything. You know, nothing is the same. In the same way that you might remember that in the late 90s, people said, the internet changes everything. Um, And then you ended up with a bunch of businesses who had no business model. And now your paper, much like the internet, it Mm -hmm. changed a lot of things, but not everything. And your paper (laughs) kind of says the same about the sharing economy. So can you talk a little bit about what are some of the key challenges that the sharing economy does pose for marketers? Yeah, so one of the biggest things uh, that we had some really interesting discussions about has to do with the role of the consumer. So... Traditionally, you have a firm, they provide a good or a service, the consumer acquires it. In the sharing economy, the consumer is also a producer. So there's this new term now in the lexicon being a prosumer. So the same person who rides an Uber on Friday might be the same one who drives it on Saturday. But even more fundamentally, um, even if you don't take the role of being a producer per se, you are participating in a system in a far more active way. Uh, So some of the crowdsourcing banking platforms, for example, have you, you know, you can sign up to try to get a loan, but you also are going to assess other people's credit worthiness. And that's a whole new role for the consumer. So the question is, how do we how do we market? I mean, which role are we marketing? If we market really strongly toward the people who just want to consume, what happens to the people who also need to provide for the plat- for the platform to work? Um, do we want to go out and mostly reach out to the people who are going to provide the good or the resource um, and then end up with nobody who demands it? So there's a it's a real balancing act uh, between the pieces of the I'm sorry, the, it, there's a balancing act between the different identities of the consumer in this space. So are there some kind of classic tenets of marketing, though, that can help answer some of these questions? Yeah. And if so, what are those? Yeah, in a lot of cases, we use the same ideas we always have. And that was part of the point of this paper. Everything doesn't actually go out the window. Um, so one thing that we might say is, OK, let's use classic rules about segmentation. Right. We we know that when people have a resource, but the longer they've had it, the more value they tend to place on it. So we need to reach out to people who were asking to put their resource into the pool with a different kind of an appeal than people who are new to the pool. Right. We know we have classic 
information about how expertise changes people's interaction with a good or service, that doesn't change in the marketing, uh, the sharing economy. It's really very much the same. Now, one thing I thought was interesting from this paper is you suggest that marketers could actually learn a lot from consumers in this yeah. space. And one thing that seems interesting is, you know, consumers probably feel like they have a pretty good handle on the sharing economy. Yeah. Like it doesn't really phase them that much. <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely the case. Um, we stand back sometimes in academia and we say, wow, look at this big, crazy new thing. The people who are actually using it are like, it's not a big thing at all. It's very normal. Um, so, for example, you might think of things like... Uh, uh, crowdsource lending. So this can be very confusing to marketers in some ways because we think that everyone should approach this with a pretty standard rational model about risk and return, et cetera, et cetera. Consumers have intuitions about who they want to borrow from, who they want to lend to, who's going to be all right. And if they've entered this market, they're kind of already comfortable with it. Uh, so in some ways, we have to get out of our own way and listen to the consumer, talk about their experience, instead of trying to impose the rules that we expect should govern their behavior. Well, I would also think that increasingly, I mean, we're coming up in a generation of consumers who have never yeah. not has yes. the sharing economy, yeah. and that's going to be the dominant group going <laughs> yep, forward. Yeah. yeah, in fact, for those consumers, the acquisition-based economy can be a bit odd, right? So by the time an individual gets to the age where they're buying their first car, they've had Ubers their entire, you know, even nearly adult life. The question of why one would then want to acquire for sole ownership becomes more complicated. When that was the norm, it was obvious, and people were willing to take out big loans to do this. But now... I have better options. You know, why would I want to saddle myself with more debt? Why would I want to worry about having a garage, worry about where I park when I've had this other thing my entire life? So it does then create some challenges for the incumbent firms. Well, yeah, I would think it's this whole new set of questions that you have mm -hmm. to design your marketing campaigns to answer. It's not just, oh, my car that I'm selling has air conditioning. Yeah. It's, well, why should I buy one? <laughs> Absolutely. There are, there are alternatives that are just as easy to use and at least seem to cost less. I mean, I think this is a a tricky spot because depending on one's usage rate, the sharing economy may not always save you money, right? It could be that continually accessing something feeds your need for variety and it feeds your desire to be sort of unfettered and free, uh, but it can get really, really expensive. And we see this with, say, clothing sharing systems. Um, they're incredibly appealing because you get so much variety and very often you can access things at a lower momentary price than you could buy them for. So you can get high-end brand names. Um, but in reality, if you're spending $200 a month to rent clothes and you're acquiring nothing, at the end of the year, you still don't have anything. So we have to be a little bit careful about suggesting that this is a way to be most efficient with your resources. It's not always, and, and it can lead people down some tricky paths. Right. And so one thing you also propose in the paper is you say that one way marketing marketers could kind of sort this out is by adopting some sharing economy principles into their practice mm -hmm. or even partnering with some players in the sharing economy. How would that work? Yeah. So you mean like a traditional business pulling in some sharing economy ideas? I think that what we see is that sharing economy ideas are entering traditional business in many ways through the affect route in the sense that sharing economy businesses have from their root emphasized collaboration, co-ownership, participation, co-production. Um, and traditional firms 
can certainly do this without any loss of competitive advantage. So they're able to say, you are a partner. Um, your ideas do matter. And what you bring to us as a consumer is actually part of all of our success, right? So I think that when traditional firms import ideas from the sharing economy that create a community, they gain a form of differentiation that's very hard to create without pulling in those ideas. Now, what's next for this research? <laughs> well, it's fun. Um, so... As I discussed before, I'm participating in this panel on food waste at the National Academy of Science. And there's an idea there that even though we waste 40% of the food that we purchase, and a lot of that gets wasted at the consumer level, sharing could be a way to help with that, right? Because what happens when you waste is that you have a slack resource that's not used. Um, and I may just never have personal consumption needs that are going to take that up, no matter what I try to do with it. Yeah, I can cook it, but then I throw it away because it's leftovers. I can store it, but then I forget about it in the fridge. Like the fridge is where the food goes to die. The idea is that if we make sharing a more integral part of consumer life, we probably can reduce waste. And this is, for example, what's happened with carpooling. That's the idea there, too. Um, but we don't do this so much with food for a lot of interesting and complex cultural reasons. But we want to think a little bit about whether sharing in general can help us reduce waste um, and get more out of the things we have. So it wouldn't be as much marketing like share a Coke with a friend like because you're having, <laughs> you know, a Coke together, but more like how could I take, how could I market this particular product and also encourage people not to waste it too? Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, we, we spend a lot of effort getting people to buy things, but then we don't necessarily worry about whether they use them. Um, and it, people do tend to feel an aversion to waste. If you're constantly throwing something away, you're going to stop buying it over time. So there are real implications for marketing. Another direction we want to go um, is to challenge the gospel that sharing makes people happier. <laughs> and we would love that to be the case. We would love it to be uh, that everybody who participates in a sharing economy business is suddenly, you know, in harmony with the people around them. And this is wonderful. And birds chirp and you know, the sun comes out. Um, the truth is that we have some preliminary evidence that for people who face financial constraints, uh, participating in the sharing economy can can actually make them quite unhappy. Because what happens is they temporarily access something they'd really like to have, and then they have to give it back. So it becomes, if anything, a cause for envy and a cause for shame. So if you show up at your high school reunion in a really fancy car and people find out that you just got it through the car sharing service, it doesn't feel great, right? Um, now, interestingly, for people who are not financially constrained, who could buy anything they want to anyway, um, sharing doesn't create these negative effects. For them, it's just a way to acquire more variety. It feels great. It's fun. No commitment. Everything's wonderful. But I think we need to be a little bit careful about assuming that uh, the sharing economy is going to make everybody feel better about their lives. Kate, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's articles, podcasts, and more on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can find all of our podcasts on Apple's podcasting app and your other favorite podcasting platform. If you like what you hear, please leave us a like, comment, or review. It really does help like-minded folks to find the show. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 